Because when you share what's really going on with you and what really matters to you at the deepest level, what you really value, what's really happening, it's an invitation, it's an automatic invitation for other people to do the same. There's a natural bridge there because the judgment has been pushed aside. It's just real. Hi, Vicki Rowan here, host of What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post-Carbon Institute in which we interview what we call cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good, asking each one of them our one impertinent question with all that seems to be going awry, what could possibly go right? And my guest today is Tammy Simon. Tammy is the founder of Sounds True, a multimedia publisher based in Boulder, Colorado. Tammy started Sounds True in 1985 at the age of 22 with a clear purpose to disseminate spiritual wisdom. Over 36 year history, Sounds True has produced more than 3000 learning programs with the world's leading wisdom teachers and has been named twice to the Inc. 500 uh, list of the fastest growing private companies in North America. Tammy also hosts the popular Sounds True podcast, Insights at the Edge, which has now been downloaded more than 20 million times. She is also founder of Sounds True's Inner MBA program, now in its second year, a nine-month immersion program that trains entrepreneurs, managers, and employees on the inner wisdom skills needed to create businesses that honor the human heart and uplift society. And now here's Tammy. Welcome, Tammy Simon, uh, to What Could Possibly Go Right. I met you at the conference that actually changed the trajectory of my life, the hmm. 1989 Globescope Pacific Assembly, where you were just starting your work of recording conferences, which then turned into Sounds True. It's a whole other story why that changed my life, but it was the source of your money, your life, and that was really the source of so much else. Anyway, you have invested uh, the decades since then in bringing truth to others through sound recordings and have evolved to bringing wisdom teachers and teachings to millions of people. And so now here we sit over 30 years later in the middle still of a pandemic in growing polarization and social animosity and rising authoritarianism around the world and the drumbeat of climate disruptions that are really spooking people who did not believe this was coming and actually rattling many of us who've seen it coming. So your recordings help us face and heal the past traumas that are getting reactivated now and also find peace in the middle of this chaos. You are a true and long-term cultural scout, uh, one who sees far and serves the common good. So I am really interested in what you are going to tell us about what you're seeing now, what, what sparks on the horizon or deepening in society that you see that might bode well for our future. Uh, so here's our basic, basic question, Tammy, with all that seems to be going awry, what could possibly go right? Well, thank you for setting up this conversation. I think it's so important to sense into what's going right, right now, right here, right in this very second. 
So what's going right, Vicki? You and I, we haven't been in contact in a long time, and here we are together talking about ideas that we care the most about, and our listeners are joining us, and we're experiencing a type of online community that is galvanizing, that is opening up truthful stories for people, that's inspiring people, where there are movements, that there is fuel being added to the fire because of our ability to communicate with each other like this and gather like this. So that's a whole heck of what's going right. And what I notice in any moment is when we can start with a deep appreciation. And I mean this seriously, a deep appreciation of the health of our bodies, whatever health we have right in this moment. We have the beauty of relishing our inhale, the top of the inhale, where there's so much potential, the exhale and the feeling of the exhale, and then that interesting open space at the end of the exhale, a breath. A breath is going right, right here, right now. And I'm starting with this in answer to your question, because I think sometimes if we place the majority of our energy outside of us into what's going wrong, the challenges we face, what we need to address, what we lose is our reservoir of unstoppable energy. And that reservoir of unstoppable energy is the potency and glory of the very right present moment. And I don't mean this in any way to skip over or to not include the pain and difficulty. What I want to bring our attention to is our utter co-creative power in the moment that comes from that great love of life, that great love of life that's accessible to us just in one inhale or exhale, just in one looking at the quality of light in the room, just that, the quality of light or the quality of darkness, the room you're in now, what is it? What's the quality of the air? the quality of what your feet feel like touching the ground or the bottom of your sits bones feel like on a chair. And then from that place, we have a sense of rightness, rightness, rightness in being alive at this time, right at this time. Now we're here. I think each one of us is here. Uh, you mentioned, you know, being a cultural scout and it's very kind of you to, to say that. What I know is that I feel inside of myself a kind of uh, tender-hearted warrior, rainbow warrior, whatever language you want to use. What I mean by that language is I am here to serve powerfully, and that's the warrior energy in me. And the tender-hearted, the rainbow, is that it's coming from a place not of defensiveness, not of armor, but of a softness with energy moving through. That's very right. And that's happening in response 
to the challenges that we see. So the question I would ask people in terms of what's going right is, do you feel you're in your right place? Do you feel that? Because when you do, that's going really right. Even if what you're doing is addressing very difficult problems that we share, what's right is that your soul and my soul in this moment are being stretched. We are being stretched to respond with a whole lot of care and intelligence and creativity and a greater embrace of each other, of people who are different than us, of all of our emotions. So our souls are being stretched to respond to the challenge of our time. That's very right, very, very right, right in this moment. And if you feel that you're not in the place where your soul is being stretched to respond to the needs of the moment in a way that feels really right. I would encourage you to make those moves, make those moves, make those moves so you feel your co-creative power in this moment to be addressing the challenges that we're facing. So that's a a bit to uh, begin our conversation. Wow. Um, Yeah, I love number one, I, I think part of, (laughs) not to like bring us down, but, you know, part of what rattles us is that social media, um, even when we, like you and I, are using the online world to bond, gather, learn, co-create, we're Honestly, you know, I always think when people are complaining about social media, I think about the groups I'm part of and what I'm learning from them and how I can like present something small that's going on in me. And like a hundred people will have something to say about it online. I mean, this transfer that we've gone through from IRL in real life to this online world has been so beneficial for you know, people like you and me and many others. And yet um, the media is training us to have just one more thing that we worry about. Um, And so I just appreciate that, that you brought that to us, that in a way, the worry, (laughs) the worrier in us, not the warrior in us, the worrier in us, um, is being stoked by things outside of us that may or may not be real. You know, they're just like one incident that's magnified among the thousands that are not magnified. So it's so important to remember. Um, now, Vicki, one thing, one thing I want to say, and this is a little challenging, but uh, what I like about you is that you're open to have a dialogue. So here it goes. I'm not a big enthusiast about worrying. At all. No. I'm not a big enthusiast. Now, I think to have concerns and then find inside how you want to address them, that's powerful. That's good. Like, yes, there are things that are upsetting, things that are um, deeply uh, uh, grieving, uh, that create grief in me, that I want to respond to, that I will work to change. But the energy of worry 
has a kind of, um, it, when I hear the word and when I think about it and when I know in myself that mind pattern that I can get into, it's one that's not particularly constructive. It doesn't really go anywhere. I think it's probably not good for my health, certainly not good for sleep. It's not, it's not, it's not the right energy that brings forth more generativity, more joy, more brightness, more solutions in the world. They come from a different kind of energy inside. So I think the initial worry would be like, okay, how do I translate this into constructive action or letting go? And I think those are both valid options, meaning is there something I can do here that's really constructive? Can I get my feet and start walking and do it? That's powerful, let's go. And if not, then can I let go of this? And, you know, this is, um, this is a big thing to say. I don't know how you'll respond to it, but if there's nothing I can do constructively, then can I give it to a higher power? Can I give it to the force of life, the flow of life, but me worrying about it? I, I don't see the point. I totally agree with you. I, um, I have become unfamiliar to myself because of the level of worry you know, I've been a warrior, but I, you know, what's, what's happened in the last five years or so is that I, um, the world, the, the unfolding of the world seemed bigger than anything I could track. You know, I mean, part of the benefit of sitting here and having this podcast is that I get to talk to people like you at least once a week. And, and, and gain a bigger perspective because I've been, you know, the big perspective person. I, I, and I have come to that, you know, as I've, as I've worked through my reactivity to the world, the first thing I got to was I can accept the unacceptable, not because it's acceptable, but because it is, you know, it's yeah. like, and then I've, and then and more recently, I've just had a determination is I will, not engage my body mind system in in things that I don't have decisional power or I you know I can't if I can't I ask myself as I read the news you know is there something I can do about this I can you know I can even send love and energy to refugees I can do that but beyond that if I, if I can't do anything then I'm going to pay attention to where I do have influence, you know, and, and for me, that choice is I'm working locally and I'm also working with a, you know, you know, me from the, the old, your money, your life world. And that is an immense, not your money, your life, but there's something called fire financial independence, retire early. Yeah. It's an, it's an immense global community of people who've at least taken responsibility for their own sort of bundle of stuff. You know, and I'm so I'm working there, like asking the question, what else can we do as a community? So yeah. I'm working in the places where I have clarity or influence. Um, I would add I would add to that. Yeah. Clarity, influence and inspiration. Yes. And I think that's very, very important because I think sometimes we look out and there are things that are happening that upset us that we're concerned about. But we may not actually feel the call inside. It's not really alive for us to make those moves and do those things. And then we discount the way we are called. 
So we are called to do something, whether it's within our family or, you know, for me, I have such a deep love of wisdom traditions mm -hmm. and spiritual teachers. And I can have the thought, well, that's not good enough, Tammy, just interviewing spiritual teachers ad nauseum. That's not enough. You should be volunteering in your local, you know, uh, uh, water uh, system uh, project locally. And I think to myself, yeah, I really care about that. And then I like go to make the phone call and I think, I don't want to do this. I hate administrative meetings. I hate this kind of thing. I'm so bad operationally. I'm much better focusing on kind of future transformation through the embrace of spiritual wisdom teachings. And I had a conversation with Paul Hawken about this because I read his new book and as I was reading it on regeneration, there was a hundred different projects that were profiled. And I was like, I'm looking for the one. And he's like, Tammy, what about what you're already doing? And I was like, is that good enough? Is that enough? I'm so concerned mm -hmm. about climate change. And he's like, I think the work you're doing is beautiful. It's profound. It has such an impact on so many people. And besides, you love it. You're called to it. You, you know, it's what you wake up and want to do. And I was like, yeah, that's true. He's like, just stick to it, stick to it. So part of what I'm saying yeah. is what we're each inspired to do, what's right in front of us. I think that's what we're called to do. The next step, the next step. And there are other people working on these other projects who have natural proclivities for those projects. Yeah, I think there's a quality of trust that it takes. You know, yeah. I mean, there is... You know, there's a, that 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 sort of like impulse to do this and that and, you know, rise to, you know, every occasion that, that shows up in your doorstep. I think that comes from a misplaced sense of control, you know, that we can actually control things out there. If we just worked hard enough to talk to another pe enough people or just got this legislation passed, you know, and and as you say, there are people who are called to that. You know, there are people who are called to policy work and I am not, I am called to policy work as sort of poetry, you know, I can talk about, you know, for me, actually, I recently came to like what my value add really is, is um, language. You know, I, I call my work now moving wisdom, moving words, you know, just, mm. just getting, you know, uh, uh, just heart filled letters to the editor, <laughs> heart filled you know, memos, uh, you know, I can do that. You know, I would like to be actually, I would like to be an ultimate deep fake, you know, where I put out like these beautiful words and concepts about things that could go right or whatever, you know, whatever it is I'm seeing. And then just notice that political leaders have stolen my language, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> see, see my words mm -hmm. coming out of other people's mouths because they're, they're out there. People are just, you know, picking words out of the environment. So I'm just, charging the environment with the best words I can. And that feels, that feels powerful to me. It is. Our words are important. Words are important. And language is important. Years ago, doing, doing your money or life work, um, we put together a, a pamphlet. We were inspired by John Robbins. He had a pamphlet of 100 statistics that once I read it, I stopped eating beef. You know, so I thought, what what can we write about consumerism? And we did something called all-consuming passion, and we we collected seventy-five statistics that we arranged in such a way that, it, you know, in a way, people would just start to be disgusted by the the 
the activity, the, the, the implications of activity. And for years after that, I saw hundreds of newspaper articles that used our, our data because mm-hmm. reporters were out there grabbing data. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's what, mm-hmm. you know, that's that and local work is what I'm called to do. Mm-hmm. Now, now in thinking and thinking about words, it brought something up for me, which mm-hmm. is we, we recently published an audio series with Carolyn Mace mm-hmm. and uh, she's a, a teacher who talks about the power of holy language holy words and how in many ways holy language has been lost in our contemporary world because people think if they use words uh, that are like i have a covenant with life in some way or uh, i i believe and have a faith in this or that words like covenant and faith powerful holy words that they'll be perceived as maybe, you know, oh, they're back in some, you know, superstitious mumbo jumbo, biblical, religious times. We don't need that. But somehow in our rational contemporary world, if we're missing that sense of being connected and devoted to what is sacred in our lives, to what's not human, to what is beyond and includes the human, what's beyond our rational capacity to perceive. If we're no longer infusing our language with that type of devotional vocabulary, we're missing something that's so important, at least to me, to the human heart, to the process of the heart that's in relationship with larger forces. So I just want to bring that into the power of yeah. holy language. And so riffing off that, um, one of the ways that liberals, progressives, you know, what do you, you know, whatever you want to call, um, call us, um, one of the ways that we look untrustworthy is that we're not using that language. You know, there, if, you know, there's the heartland has. You know, church is still for so many people. It is the core. It is the teaching. It's where they 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 gain the strength to go on another day. And the fact that we don't use religious or holy language. Right. So I think the challenge would be, you'll notice the words I used were words that had meaning to me. Covenant. I feel like I have a covenant with life. What that means to me is I feel that I have made certain promises to deliver my gifts to the world. And that that is a type of inner set of vows that I've made as a soul. Okay, so I used words, soul, vows, covenant. But I'm using words that mean something to me. I'm not just pointing to some language that's dead, that I don't believe in, that's not natural to me, that's not native to me. And I'm bringing to it my own interpretation, what actually means something to me. So I could use a word like source and feeling part of something bigger, you know, than, than, uh, than my human uh, being that's, that I'm a part of. So I think it's important as we find our language, that it's language that's actually animated in our own experience. It's true for us. 
And then I think we can build bridges too and see what's language is true for other people. Oh, that's interesting. It's kind of similar. It has a similar feeling underneath. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like the word devotion for me is is animated, I would say. Yeah. Devotion. Beautiful word. Beautiful yeah. word. Your and- life, your life expresses so much devotion. Yeah. Vicky. I'm devoted. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And um I'm actually, you know, sometimes I apologize, but I just say to people, you know, I like the God word, so here I'm gonna use it. And I you know, but I I I have felt a lot in my life that I'm, you know, my life is a dialogue with God, like, hey, what do you think about this God? You know, and I mean, I know that's sort of like a it's my you know, my um, personalized sense of, of something that is sure. really almighty, you know, but, um, you know, I've really, I'm, I come out of the Jewish tradition and that is in me, that yeah. is in me, you know, shards of light. I mean, all of these words are in me. I was, you know, what I was pointing to, and I, you know, maybe what it sounded like was sort of a cynical, you know, using of language that isn't, you know, natural to me. But I think that what you're saying about Carolyn, that the fear of using language that refers to your deeper soul commitment in this life, the fear of using that language actually contributes yes. to, to a sense of alienation. Like, I don't understand you because where is your faith? Where, what are you devoted to? Are you are you only intellectual? I mean that the, you know, presencing the what in people who have a strong religious faith, what people who don't express their faith or what the kinds of faith that they carry, it makes it more alien. So I'm I'm looking for bridging language. Like I'm working in in food system work, you know, and 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 food freedom and food sovereignty. It's not about, you know, like permaculture. Permaculture says nothing to a whole big swath of, of my local farmers, you know. But, you know, food freedom and food sovereignty and being able to, to grow food and feed your community, which is a noble profession, you know, and not have to go through like reams of paperwork in order to do it. That is language that has um, that 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 resonates um, broadly, you know. Mm-hmm. So I just think too, I'm really interested in the language that resonates broadly, because uh, so I can pick my words. You know, I can be more conscious and pick words that that are are not accidentally offensive. You know, um, yeah. and I I really that's you know that's a lot of what I'm I'm curious about really is how do we bridge this you know because because you know it's like that idea of what what unites us is so much greater than what divides us yeah how do we how do we talk into the space that we all share you know right but i think one thing and, and it's what we're doing here is having the courage to speak from our genuine inner experience and share it. So you said, you know, I dialogue with God about my life. And yet, you know, there's this quality of like, is it okay to say that? Like, is, am I going to sound <laughs> like I'm like, I realize it's just a person, but Vicki, that's true for you. That's, you know, and for me, uh, my whole life is an expression of my devotion to God or life. That's my life. And that's what I care the most about. It's an outpouring of that. 
So it's even like when I hear you ask a question, like what's going right? Well, what's going right? And that's why I started, we're having this conversation and I'm not even talking about like, yes, you know, people are watching and like, yes, it has impacts and social media, like, okay, that's true. But no, it's just you and I, two human beings right now are sharing our inner spiritual experience with each other in a vulnerable way in a language that's not like we're not, you know, talking about our Jewish this or that or how it fits in this or that. We're talking about what's true for us on the inside. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we have the opportunity to have go right at any moment. And it naturally does create this bridge to other people because when you share what's really going on with you and what really matters to you at the deepest level, what you really value, what's really happening, it's an invitation, it's an automatic invitation for other people to do the same. And if we can share it without judgment, we're not judging ourselves, you know, here's the, here's the strange voodoo I do inside, like whatever it is, or like, okay, like I can just, that's me. Okay, great, and who are you? Interesting, wow, that's so different. Let me get in there. Let me see it. Let me understand it. There's a natural bridge there because the judgment has been pushed aside. It's just real. I'm thinking right now as you're talking about the, um, I think one of the most powerful spiritual movements in our society, bridging spiritual movements, is the anonymous uh, groups. Mm -hmm. You know, I just... I used to joke that I, you know, I wish I had some sort of addiction because I'd like to go, you know, to the anonymous groups. And the level of acceptance of one yeah. another is astonishing. You sit down in that seat and it doesn't matter if you are like the vice president of a major corporation. It's, it's because you're there in your vulnerability. You're there because you're facing yourself in some way. And and also what I think about when you say this is that I used to, when I, when I used to do more like organizing groups and stuff like that, I used to always start with celebration. You know, I, I think because people come together a lot of times around a problem or you yeah. know, getting better. And so I used to start with like, what's working? Let's celebrate what's working. And it does create an aura in the conversation, whatever it is. Yeah, I think it's so important to have a both and. So, and what I mean by that is, like, for example, at our leadership team, that sounds true. We end with appreciations. So you could say celebrations, but we end with appreciating each other. If there's anything that we want to say that's natural, that's arising. But more in the middle of the meeting, we have a section where we talk about what's under the table. Mm. So what isn't being said that needs to be said that is uh, potentially concerning us or that we're like pushing away. We don't want to, we don't really want to deal with it, but we actually need to deal with it. And so we first talk about what's under the table. And so by the time we get to appreciations, the whole, the whole meeting feels balanced. So mm. I think this is just such an interesting thing because I think there can be toxic positivity and toxic negativity, both. And if we just get rid of the toxic part, and the toxic part is forcing ourselves to be in either one of these uh, categories. So even it's like, well, what's going right? What could possibly go right? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> what 
do we have no idea about that we could exactly. never even like we don't even know if it's right or wrong or like we don't even know what's in that category what's the mysterious surprise like a uh, futuristic who knows category it's not really right or wrong it's mythic okay what's mythic like how many other things too could we bring into the conversation and could we just be open to bring them all there look at all of them like that's what i like that's how i like to approach things totally. personally Oh, my cat just figured out how to open the door, so she may join us. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, you know, it's um, one of the things I've been studying recently is I'm trying to like find the avenues through polarization. And uh, I read a wonderful book by Amanda Ripley. Um, and uh, I can't remember the name of it at the moment, but um one of the things she said about like, you know, getting out of this right, wrong polarization, you know, that just like people just entrench, they go further and further and further. She said is to complicate the conversation, you know, yeah. that, that, you know, basically the binary proposition, which is embedded somehow in the Western mind is almost inevitably going to drive us into a polarizing, you know, picking side sort of thing. So I used to, I had a friend who used to say, if you, you know, if you're working on a problem, you only have two solutions. You haven't thought well enough. You have to have five, at least five. Right. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, I'm, I'm working in myself. I mean, and, and I've been challenged by other guests with on the question itself, you know, which is sort of just has a little sassy edge. Um, but the question itself is presuming that the what, that there's one thing, right, is that there's an outcome that is a true solution to the mess that we're in, you know? So I, I totally agree. I mean, what you're talking about is sort of breaking ourselves out of the straitjacket yeah. of, of Western, the Western solutionary progress is our most important product. Yeah, so I, I just riffing off of that, that that that's sort of a big thing to to heal in ourselves and 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 in our conversations and just how we are in the world. Just like being present and celebrating what's right right now in the breath, it's celebrating yeah. that we're complex human beings and and that actually human beings have been through an awful lot, right, wrong, you know. My other motto for myself recently is, you know, life goes on, you know, wars come and wars go, pandemics come, pandemics go. But, you know, there's something in life yeah. itself that has this self-healing, self-balancing, self-nourishing quality. And that's another thing that we can trust, you know, that um, just like what you're saying is playing our part because because we like the music. Yeah. You know? Yeah, very much so. Now, in, in terms of uh, the, the premise of our conversation about, you know, what could go right, and also this notion of you're talking to people that you think are cultural scouts, I'll tell you the uh, frontier that I'm working on. Yeah, for sure. Which has to do with the transformation of business. So Sounds True created a program called the Inner MBA, and what we're looking at is what we see as a rising tide in the business world, which is for businesses to operate in just ways. 
uh, just forms of capitalism and the inspiration that people have for their business to truly honor all the stakeholders. So whether that's the rise in the B Corp movement or it's the rise in employers saying, you know, I think I'm actually really going to focus on well-being and care because otherwise I, people won't work here. So, and guess what? I'm discovering that when we express our love and care for the people who work with us, that they are, are more inspired and they want to stay and they bring more of their heart and ingenuity to work. And when we see companies that take a stand, so as part of the Inner MBA program, we have CEOs who are participating and bringing their ideas. And we had Rose Macario, who for many years was the CEO of Patagonia, talking about how when a business takes a stand and has a voice for what it believes, how that actually magnetizes customers and uh, makes your customers love you even more. And also how you, you, you were talking about social media and all of the negatives that can come from it and the pros that can come from it. And one of the things is that it also brings a light to what's really going on inside companies where you can't just say one thing and do another and not think that the truth is going to come out. And so are right. you really aligned with what you're saying, what your values are? I hope you are, oh business, because you can't just you know, greenwash uh, and, and, and not deliver on those values without being exposed in the world. So that puts a certain pressure. So all these different pressures, and I think the ultimate is an inner pressure that's mm -hmm. happening in people that say, you know, look, we spend so much time at work. Let's have our work reflect the deep values of our soul Businesses are doing that. That's the kind of business I want to work for. And the Inner MBA is a training program, a nine-month training mm. program for people who want this kind of wisdom-based education mm. in business. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's why there's so many coaches in the world is that there are so many people working in businesses that are more or less alien environments that they're trying, you know, that they need to like re-presence in themselves to be able to, you know, go back out and 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 work another day. Some of it may be, you know, just for their own personal rising up the corporate ladder. But I think there is, you know, I think there's a lot of coaches who are basically doing therapy for people who are working in, in corporations that feel alien to them. Um, yeah. And um, so do you see, uh, is there like a, uh, not just more customers, but are you seeing like a rising interest in 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 this transformation of corporations into into benefit yeah. for? Yeah, yeah, I see it because you know uh, we had Lynn Twist gave our commencement address to our first graduating class of the Inner MBA, and she said, you know, Tammy, it was forty six years ago that I attended a lecture, a commencement lecture by Buckminster Fuller, who mm. was saying fifty years from now. Every structure in our society will go through a transformation that reflects the interdependence that we now know is real. And what Lynn was saying is we're seeing that it has to happen in the business world. And the kind of education you're offering through a program like the Inner MBA is the education for businesses to function with the consciousness of interdependence right in the very heart, an original charter mm. 
of how the business operates. And I think that is the necessary future of our institutions. It's going to be a long haul to get there. But I think for each of us, where we find ourselves, I found myself as a business person, as you mentioned, you know, Sounds True's been around now for 36 years and we're a small business, but we have 150 employees and we have all the challenges that come with having difficult conversations and creating real collaboration and teamwork and people feeling uh, well cared for and like we're getting a whole heck of a lot done every week. And, you know, we have all the challenges. And so we've been trying to bring uh, this kind of training and intelligence into our company and now sharing it also using the relationships we have with all the wisdom teachers we've been working mm. with. So, yeah, I think it's a rising tide. That Well, that's wonderful to hear. And because uh, there's so many places where where people need to um, buck the assumptions, yeah, you know, that, that really, you know, that, that it's this sort of dog eat dog world, you know, that it's not, it's like, it's like, we're all in this together and we happen to be, this configuration happens to be a business and we want to have everybody prosper inside and as a business um, because that's our success, you know, that's, so I think that's, and that's very um, heartening for me to yeah. hear that. And yeah. uh, do you, and there do you some, see an some increase early, in- early, early signs, Vicki. I'll give you an example. Yeah. Yeah. One of the CEOs who's participating in the program, his name is Steve McAdam. And he's the CEO previously. He retired about a year ago, but he worked for 12 years as the CEO of a large public manufacturing company called Enpro. And north of a billion dollars... Uh, on the public markets, 6,000 employees. And he went in and took the company through a full transformation process where they dedicated themselves to a dual bottom line. One bottom line is of course their financial targets. They're a public company putting those numbers up. But the other bottom line is human flourishing, human development. He's introduced the practice of centering to all 6,000 employees who work in manufacturing capacities. They're dedicated to pushing authority down so that it's a very uh, self-managed workforce so the people in the factories manage their own work. So he took the company through a whole process where we care about human development equally to financial performance. Just an example, somebody who he himself knew that if people were treated as ends in themselves at work, that it would both be the human thing to do and it would be helpful for the business in terms of unleashing human potential at work. That is such a wonderful story. That's such a wonderful story that it can happen within a, you know, the exactly. corporate setting and not just, you know, worker owned cooperatives, sure. uh, like the Mondragon system and many others, you know, that, that these are being held up as like the form of the future because, because people need to, everybody needs to prosper together, but to be able to do it in a traditional business, you know, to have that intention. And I am sure, I am sure that there are so many businesses where the owner's or the CEO's intention is exactly that, you know, and, and especially the ones that are embedded in community. Yeah. You know, that, that basically are accountable to community because they're neighbors, you know? Yeah. 
you know, whatever it is, you know, you know that, you know, you're going to bump into people on the street that you have. And if you're, so I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that even if you're not officially a public benefit corporation, you see yourself that way. Yeah, exactly. 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 That's your devotion to go back around to that word that, that we used is to have, to bring your devotion to work, not just your children or your daughter, or your son, you know, but to bring your devotion to work. Yeah. And I think, you know, for each of us to bring our devotion to wherever we find ourselves. So for me, I found myself working a whole lot of hours for a whole lot of years and really being quite invested in business, truly, and how business operates and the form of it. Uh, and what is it like to create a workplace culture that actually genuinely allows people to thrive and flourish and love and create. So that was my, that's, this is my little world. But for people who find themselves, whether you're, you know, an educator, you work in the medical profession or the legal profession or wherever you are, that's your arena to transform in this language of Buckminster Fuller, our interdependence. How does, how does that institution, that social institution, start to reflect our values, not the values of patriarchy and white supremacy upon which it was built over the last few hundred years, but how do we bring our heart-soul values into the redesign of whatever institution we're a part of? I think that's fabulous, and I think that's a, that's the note that we should um, wind up on, Tammy. I think that's, it's almost like this has been a teaching this has been a teaching about an authentic engagement from the heart and, and, and the will, you know, but from the heart with, with the world that we share, you know, whatever labels you put on it, going right, going wrong, going sideways, going up, going down, you know, whatever labels you put on it, how do I, from my heart and soul, engage with the world that I'm in, in the short time I'm here? And mm -hmm. what a privilege. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah, thank so thank you, thank Vicky. you, Tammy. Thank you. thank you so much. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people. Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Thanks also to Asher Miller, Amy Burringrood, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com.